We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. All right, episode seven of Lion Legacy. So, Jared, one of the common themes that we're hearing in the Lion's Den is when we ask our guests, how do you feel most connected to the university these days? And as we all know, in the fact that we can't get back to campus, it's not easy to travel. It's not easy to get back there. And even if we did, it wouldn't be the same right now. And it's been tough in that regard. And we're all feeling that. But you found a way that both students and alumni can remain connected to the university in ways that our listeners may not know about. Yeah, I'm just like you, Ross. Wish I was back at the university visiting with students, talking with them, helping them in any way possible. But obviously, we live in a different world these days. And luckily, Penn State has put together a great virtual platform to connect students with alumni. It's called LionLink. I joined the platform a few weeks ago and I've already been contacted by two students. The great thing is you can communicate how you want and when you want with the students. You can email them back on this platform. You could set up a call, which I did. You could do a video chat and really get to know them a little bit better, really understand who they are, their questions, their challenges. My heart goes out for anyone who's a student these days. Certainly a different experience, different challenges, something that they've never had to think about. And I think if alumni can give back, I'd certainly encourage everyone to do so. Whatever time you may have, it's really easy to join LionLink. It's very similar to setting up a LinkedIn profile. And you just go to alumni.psu.edu slash LionLink. Once again, alumni.psu.edu slash LionLink. I'll also put it in the show notes. And I know students certainly appreciate more alumni getting on there from different careers, different job positions. And if you do, let us know how your experience as well. I'm sure you'll find it equally rewarding. Awesome. Thanks, Jared. In today's episode, we spoke with Andrew Moses, who in his day job works for a consulting firm, but we weren't here to speak with him about his day job. We spoke with him about his side hustle. He is the podcast creator and host of Everybody Pulls the Tarp. So yes, it was a podcast that we had here talking with a podcast host about his podcast. So we all love our podcasts. It focuses on leadership, teamwork, and success. And it was really cool to hear just his story and what he's really passionate about. And we aspire one day to be as accomplished in the podcasting world as Andrew is. Hope you'll enjoy this one. And he certainly knocked it out of the park. All right, let's welcome Andrew Moses, 2007 Penn State graduate, accounting major, and currently vice president at Morgan Frankly Consultant, where he helps finance, technology, and business leaders tackle complex transformational challenges. If his name sounds familiar, you may have listened to his popular podcast, Everybody Pulls the Tarp, where he's on a personal mission to uncover keys to success. Also, in 2007, he co-founded Autism Speaks You that engages students from universities and colleges in advocacy, awareness, and fundraising, resulting in an impressive seven 
plus million dollars raised. For his great leadership and humanitarian efforts, he was recognized with the Penn State Alumni Volunteer of the Year Award, becoming the youngest alumni recipient. When he's not helping others, you can find him raising his two daughters along with his wife, Lauren, a true girl dad. Andrew, I've had the pleasure of listening to you on your podcast, so it's an honor to have you on ours. Welcome to Lion Legacy. Jared and Ross, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Now, before we dive in, I was listening to your podcast uh, a couple months ago, and I know you were battling COVID. So want to check in and see how you're doing and feeling these days. Thanks for asking. I'm feeling great. I had mild symptoms by all you know standards compared to what many in the, the country and around the world have faced. C- candidly, the biggest thing for me was the surprise. I, I lost my grandfather to COVID back earlier this year. And since then, we've really hunkered down. We've been very careful here and we haven't, we hadn't really gone anywhere. So when my positive test came back, everybody was really surprised. And it it just goes to show you that it can get anybody. So I I wrote it out. The hardest part was quarantining in the house away from my family. And my wife had to carry the load for the, the, the family. And my wife and daughters brought food to the door and would knock and let me know. And, but I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. I feel very fortunate. So many around the country and world don't have you know a positive outcome. Yeah, and sorry to hear about your grandfather as well. It's, uh, it's well, th- obviously thank you. affecting everyone. It sure does. It, you, you never know when this thing's going to hit. Hopefully, we're getting close. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, definitely glad you're feeling better, Andrew. What really interested us is what you're doing outside of your day job. Jared alluded to it in the intro. Your podcast, Everybody Pulls the Tarp. That's not just the name of the podcast, but it's also your personal mantra. Tell us some more about that. Sure. So everybody pulls the tarp is, is a mindset that, that I have that great teams, great organizations are powered by individuals who contribute in unexpected ways, who do things well outside the boundaries of their job description. They never say that's not my responsibility. They never say that task is above me or beneath me. They do whatever is necessary to help their family, their community, their team, their organization. And it's a philosophy and I've talked about this on my podcast plenty, that goes back to my first internship. So when I was at Penn State, I, as you mentioned earlier, I was an accounting major, but I I had this interest in working in the sports industry. And I had interned for a baseball agent, and I'd asked the agent, I said, how can I continue to learn more about the sports industry? He said, why don't you apply for an internship at a minor league baseball team? I sent a bunch of uh, resumes out, and I was fortunate to get an internship with the double-A affiliate of the New York Yankees at the time, the Trenton Thunder in New Jersey. And I show up the first day, and I think I'm going to learn the business of sports. And they pull all the interns into a room, and they say, it's great to have you. You're going to get lots of opportunities to learn and develop. But bring some old clothes, put them in the locker room. And I'm like, what? What is that for? Am I going to play? And they, they said, no, no, you're going to help the grounds crew pull the tarp on off the field when it rains. And I, get, I was like, huh? What are you talking about? And they said, and, and this is what they this is what they said. They said, look, Andrew, we have the same grass as the big leagues, right? I said, yes. They said, do you have the same dirt as the big leagues? I said, yes. Says the same field? Yes. The difference is in the big leagues, they have 20 or 25 people on the grounds crew. Here in the minors, we have five, six, maybe seven. So everybody, CEO, CFO, chief marketing officer, ticket salesperson, and you, the new intern, you're all going to help the grounds. We're all going to help the grounds crew pull the tarp on and off the field. I didn't realize it necessarily then, but as I continued on in my career and I'm not doing anything now in in sports, 
but what I realized was the reason that I had started to have some success in my career was because I was willing to do whatever was necessary. I was always looking for new challenges, looking for opportunities to either stay late, do a little bit extra. And I also realized as I started to get a little bit more senior in my career and had the chance to hire people that the, the most fun people to be around, the most fun people to have on my team, on our collective team, were these tarp pullers, as I call them, the people who were just who are willing to pull the tarp, as I've now uh, coined it. So, so yeah, it's a mindset. It's a philosophy. And, it, and it, it means doing the unexpected. It means smiling at somebody when you walk by them in a parking lot. It means putting the shopping cart back when you're done shopping. It means my, my FedEx, our FedEx delivery worker, she, if she sees our newspaper at the bottom of the driveway, she brings the newspaper and she puts it with the packages. Always brings a smile to my face. Again, it's just doing the unexpected, doing something that is not necessarily in your job description, not expected of you, but it makes all the difference. So that's the everybody pulls the tarp mindset. So then tie that into your motivation for starting the podcast. So the motivation for starting the podcast was I, I had this hypothesis that the most successful people contribute in unexpected ways. They're tarp pullers. And I'm passionate about Ross, about, about personal and professional development. I'm always reading always trying to learn more, always trying to get, you know, a leg up and develop myself professionally. So I saw the podcast as an opportunity to do a couple of things. One, I saw it as an opportunity to validate this theory that I had that, that successful people contribute in unexpected ways. And I also wanted to just uncover other secrets to success from elite performers in, in all types of industries and crafts. And, and I said, if I can go on this journey, and bring others along with me, that's even more powerful. So that was really the the thought process behind starting the podcast. Now you mentioned before, and I got to go back, the New York Yankees affiliate, but I know you're a big Mets fan. So how was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was interesting. I, I didn't even know. So when you want to work in sports, you send a bunch of resumes out and you kind of, you hope to get one, right? So I sent a bunch of resumes out and I got this opportunity in the Yankee organization. And my parents said to me, you're going to work for the Yankees? I said, oh, it's just it's a minor league team. It's a job. It won't have anything to do with the Yankees. I get there the first day. Besides the tarp story, they hand me two polos. They got Yankee logos on them. I say, this is going to be a real problem. And I get home the first night. My parents joke with me. They say, you got to leave those shirts in the car and you got to get them dry clean. You're not going to bring them into our house. I was living at home at the time in college. So it was challenging. But I think an important point, when you work in minor league baseball, and from what I've you know, discovered it talking to others when you work in sports, it's just like any other business. The product is a sport. It's a game. And I learned something that besides the tarp story that has really impacted me, my entire career working that summer in minor league baseball, an executive told me something like in minor league baseball, 75% or more of the people will walk out of the stadium at the end of the game and have no idea what the final score is. They're there for entertainment. They're there for less expensive hot dogs and, and beer and the dizzy bat race and to, to have some fun and get an autograph or two, see the rising stars before they're stars. It's client service. The baseball is just the product. So one of the things that was really important for me in the beginning was to decouple the fact that it was baseball. The, the players were just part of the product that we were putting out to the customer. And I learned things that summer that I still go back to from a client service standpoint. I, I work in client service and 
I think about these things all the time. I mean, little things, again, these tarp pulling moments. When I was working in minor league baseball, if I saw a kid almost catch a foul ball and miss, I would try to see if I could find a ball lying around somewhere in the stadium and bring the ball because that may be the, the best memory that they have that day. It's not necessarily always about the game. So I would say, again, it was the same thing. I had to tune out the fact that I was working for the Yankees because I am a big Mets fan, as you alluded to. I know we're all looking forward to getting back to the ballpark at some point. And to your point, those live experiences with friends, families, the stories that we can tell. So hopefully sooner rather than later. I, I can't wait. A little side note here. I usually take a trip to spring training every year to see the Mets and some other teams. Forget whether or not you're a baseball fan or not. It's another really cool experience because you see the behind the scenes. Again, the work that goes into professionals getting better. Professionals who have done this their whole life getting better. So I, I didn't get to go last March. We're not going to go this March. I hope we get to go next March. Let's hope. So I've had the pleasure of, of listening to your podcast, but I know some people uh, listening right now probably haven't. Can you give us an idea of some of your guests as well as key learnings or highlights along the way? Sure. So I, I interview successful people from all walks of life, Olympians, pro athletes, elite coaches, best-selling authors, CEOs, other high performers. So first and foremost, before I get into some of the guests, what's been remarkable is the consistency that no matter whether you're a world champion figure skater, an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, uh, an elite college football coach, you draw upon a lot of the same principles to drive your success. I've learned immense amount from every guest, and I hope the audience has as well. I, I think even though I'm a Penn State fan, uh, and you guys are as well, I did have the chance earlier this year to have Indiana's football head coach Tom Allen on. And Coach Allen, he's, as advertised, a fantastic leader of, of people. He cares more about the players than he does about wins and losses. And that was evident. But, you know, he told me some really interesting things. And if you don't know his story and if the audience doesn't know his story, he worked at a lot as a coach at a lot of small colleges, high schools, and, and built his coaching career that way. And in a lot of those places, you don't have the personnel that you have at a Big Ten program or even a, a, any other Big Ten or other large college program. So he was the offense coordinator, the head coach. He striped the lines on the field. He cleaned the bathrooms. He was the, the athletic director. He had to wear all these hats. And what he said was, not only was it what I needed to do, it helped me today to become a better coach. I'm more well-rounded. So I, th I thought that, that was something that was just has always stuck with me. I, I also had a chance to interview 15-time SEC coach of the year, Mary Wise. She's the volleyball coach at the University of Florida. As we were talking about the tarp pulling, she said, you know, I never thought about this, but when we pull up to a new hotel, when we're on a on the road trip, I get off the bus and I help unload all the luggage for the players off the bus. And she said, I never thought about it, but I think that sets a tone that sets, you know, you lead by example. There's no task beneath you. That was a really, a really cool moment. I think another one, Tessa Virtue, she's the most decorated figure skater of all time. She's an ice dancer. And, and she's won three Olympic gold medals with her ice dance partner, Scott Moyer. And what she told me was, speaking of teams, she said, Andrew, the two of us were on the podium. But in the lead up to the Olympics, we had a team of about 14 people. We had costume designers, um, skate coaches, choreographers, sports psychologists, all kinds of people that were contributing. And we don't have the success that we would have with, without them. So those are three, I, I think, great examples. But I also, 
have uncovered just some great stories of passion and perseverance through through adversity, right? I interviewed Nancy Yanni. She, she was a CNN hero back in 2016. She leads an organization called Gigi's Playhouse, which helps children and, and families affected by Down syndrome. And they have schools and centers uh, and programs for kids and families affected by Down syndrome. And these were all live. And during COVID, they basically, I think, shut down for a few days, pivoted the whole program to be online. They, they were working 24-7. And they didn't have to do this. They, they could have tried to ride it out, but they, they said, look, this is what's needed. So it's been great stories of teamwork and perseverance and overcoming adversity. I think the one thing that has been consistent is that anybody who has achieved any measures of success has navigated adversity, and it's never as easy as it looks. That's been, I think, the takeaway from all of the conversations that I've had. You may see that ice skater land that triple jump, and it may look like to the public they never they never fail, but they have failed a ton in practice. And, and I think that's been the, the most consistently striking thing that every successful person has had failures and adversity and has come through a lot. Well said there. And, I, you know, you talk about adversity and you look at Ali Krieger, right? One of our Penn State alums as well. Olympian, World Cup, two-time World Cup champion, I think, actually, which is just amazing, right? Pulmonary embolism when she was at Penn State, broken leg. I think MCL, ACL tear before the 2012 Olympics comes back even stronger. And I think we look to her and say, this is a learning moment as well. Yeah, yeah, I was fortunate to to sit down with Ali on um, a live event we did for Penn State a number of months ago. We did a live Everybody Pulls the Tarp for alumni and, and fans of Ali's around the world. And it, it, you're right. It, it was for adversity. For her, it was looking adversity straight in the eye and coming through it and staying positive and being grateful for the opportunity that she had. And Ali's got a fantastic story of coming out of Penn State. She went to Germany to play in Germany, and there wasn't necessarily like a next step for Allie that was clearly defined, right? She didn't have an immediate role on the national team. She goes to Germany, becomes a, 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 a be even better player, and comes back stronger for it. So there's an example. That's a great example as well. I think when you also look at vulnerability, and this is something 10 years ago, no one was really talking about their feelings or the tough times, being vulnerable. I think a lot of us have thought about we've got to be machine-like, right? Or we can't show any pain or any faults. This has also led to a conversation around mental health. And I'm curious your thoughts on this evolution over the past three, four, five years. I haven't studied this in, in detail, but I think a lot of it has to do with social media and the impact that social media has. I, I think for most, social media is a highlight reel. It's your best moments. It's, it's not your blooper reel. So often you, you look on social media and everything, it, it just, everything looks perfect or staged or super fun. Or the example I gave before, it's an elite athlete or you know, a, an elite figure skater is going to go out and what you're going to see is the highlight reel typically. But now I think with more awareness, you're seeing more behind the scenes. You're seeing that, that vulnerability. And I do believe that the vulnerability in the long run is going to build a much more authentic connection with people, both in mass audience in terms of social media and, and that stuff. And then I, I've seen it in business. You know, the when, when I'm building relationships with clients and um, uh, partners in the marketplace, the more I'm transparent about what's going on in my life, 
what's going on with, with my kids, my family. I think the deeper connection and the deeper bond you build. Um, so I, again, I think we're going to hopefully see more and more of this shift from the highlight reels to the kind of true transparency. I, I did a little thing on my Instagram a couple of months ago. I, I, I did a couple of these mistake Mondays where I actually showcased mistakes that I had made in my career. And some of them are ridiculous. I took a train to Philly for three hours for a meeting that was the following Friday because I had misread the email. <laughs> so anybody who's had any success, again, has made a million you know, mistakes. So, so I think it's important. I think it's important to showcase your mistakes and your your failures as much as you showcase your success. Now, Andrew, I want to get back to the idea of success for a second. And when when I was doing some prep for our conversation here, I came up with a parallel. I went through a a little bit of a Malcolm Gladwell phase last year, and so I read Outliers. It was from the late two thousands, somewhere around that time. He kind of breaks down this whole idea of success. I guess more for the group that hasn't read the book and says, but part of it is the, the traits that you mentioned. It's the overcoming adversity, perseverance, the chipping in. But he also says part of it is it, it relates to the situation that sets somebody up for that success. Maybe when they were born, what era they were born, where they were born. It gets into all these kind of outlying factors at a very high level. It obviously goes into a lot of detail. So I, you're shaking your head. So I'm guessing you've read the book. And I just want to get your thoughts there on that whole outlier approach versus the traits that you're seeing in the more traditional definition of success. I, I think the circumstances that folks are born into can certainly create an advantage. It, 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 there's no question. But what I have also uncovered is that people, no matter the adversity or the situation that they find themselves in, if they have the passion and they have the energy and they're humble, and they're willing to learn, you can achieve whatever it is you want to achieve within reason, right? If I decided today I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer, <laughs> I can't even get from one end of the pool to the other. But, <laughs> but again, there are people that are born into different circumstances that, have, that, that maybe have an advantage, but, but that if, I fully believe that advantage can be overcome. Absolutely. So just shifting gears a little bit, again, we'd like to promote your podcast. We appreciate the work you're doing and you've done a great job so far in the year plus that you've been running with it. One of the points that Jared and I came up with is this is something that should be a mandatory class in, in college. You think about it, people are graduating college, they're in their early 20s. They don't necessarily know how to interact in that professional setting. And they're in for a bit of culture shock when they get into that first full-time job. These are certainly some key uh, concepts that are, you know, part of the foundation that a 22 year old should have a hundred percent. I don't know what it is, but people, like the, everybody's become obsessed with titles these days, like what your title is and, and how that validates your, your success. And I, I'm going to use a line from one of the guests on the podcast is Sean Pete. He's a NASCAR pit crew coach. And he said something to me, he said, Andrew titles are for books. Don't worry about <laughs> what your title is. And I think this is one of the important lessons that if you could teach this course to, to every college student, you would say, don't get obsessed about what your title is, what your first title is, what your second title is, your third title is. Get obsessed with what you're learning and the people that are around you. Are you around people that are challenging you? Are you around people that are willing to coach you? Are you growing? Are you uncomfortable? I always say, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. That's you right. Know, and... I think, yeah, we could do a course on this. We should talk to the guys at Penn State, see if they'll let us come teach it. But I do believe that it's, it's be obsessed about those things and not about what your title is and be willing to 
invest yourself into whatever it is you're doing. And also, the other thing that I've uncovered through this process is that so many people have these these non-traditional quote-unquote paths to wherever they get to. And that's the other thing too. It's so many people are focused on what am I going to major in? What am I going to go to graduate school? It's who knows, right? Well, if if we don't have a course, let's at least try to get all 40,000 students listening to your podcast. I would love that. I would love that. (laughs) So your dream guest list, who would you love to have on your show? So I'm from New Jersey. Bruce Springsteen would be fantastic, not just because I'm a fan of his music, but because he's known for his work ethic. He's one of the highest octane performers in any industry. Three plus hours a show. He performs every night, 300 shows sometimes a year. So I'd want to dig into that with him. And I'd also want to, to better understand his creative process. I'm, I'm very fascinated by creative process. So you probably say you're an accounting major, Andrew. What, what about cre- what's creative? I, I have this kind of creative side to me. And I'm always fascinated by where do people get their ideas? How do people bring their ideas to fruition? So I think Bruce Springsteen would be interesting. I, I know it didn't end the way all of us Penn Staters necessarily wanted it to, but if I could interview someone that has already passed away, I, I would love to interview Coach Paterno. Uh, I've read all of his books. It was unfortunate the way, way it ended for him, but I think the way it ended was a guy who recognized that he made a, a, a big mistake. He, he acknowledged in those final remarks that he made a mistake. I, I would like to talk to him about you know his career for sure. And then and then for the third, people have asked me, if you could have three people around a table, who would it be? And then I always say, I want two presidents from opposite parties because I would just love to facilitate a dialogue. And I love to, to hear both sides of issues. So, so Bruce Springsteen, Coach Paterno, and any two former presidents. Those would certainly probably break your records in terms of listens on podcasts. I will tell you that. <laughs> probably. Probably. Can, can we make some suggestions as well or recommendations? Yeah, please, please. So I'll go with, I'd love to see you have Derek Jeter. I've always respected Derek. I know you're a Mets fan. I'm not a Yankees fan myself, but I think Derek certainly has garnered a lot of respect. One, from everyone in New York, one of the few athletes that has over the years never been torn down by the media. And then I think when you look at other MLB teams, the amount of respect that they've had for his leadership, obviously a great player, but the way he handled himself, the respect that he showed other teams and the way he led his own team is fantastic. Yeah, even as a Mets fan, I I have the, the greatest respect for Derek Jeter. The other word I would use to describe him is consistent. It is so hard in, in any uh, sport, but in particular baseball, 162 games to compete at the level that he did for as long as he did is remarkable. And, I'd, I, and I, I would love to dig in with him on how he maintained that consistency. I, I did have just a sidebar here. I did get a chance to have on the show the director of performance, strength and conditioning for the Yankees, Coach Dana Cavalia, who worked with Jeter and A-Rod and some of the others at that time. And what I did ask him a little bit about consistency. And and he said, consistency is just doing little things over and over the right way. They're not like, it's not big things. It's doing little things. It's doing, you know, this extra five minutes of the workout. It's doing extra 10 minutes of film. It's doing a lot of little things. Right. Russ, who's your pick? 
I was kind of mulling this over and wh- I came up with two. One is from a business leadership perspective, Reed Hastings from Netflix. But just the, you kind of read about the culture that he's created at the company and how the standards and values and how anybody can get in there and they want you to be just performing your best. So I think there's something to be said there for what he's expecting from a success pr- perspective of his employees. And the other one, I had to go with Michelle Obama. I'm enamored every time I hear her speak. I think she's an amazing woman, just commands the room when she speaks and always just great lessons, whether, you know, leadership or racial equality and just, you can name, go on and on. Those two would be also fantastic. When an entrepreneur can build a culture that not only essentially emanates from everything the company does, but also can, you know, perpetuate beyond their leadership is to me really impressive. And, and, Michelle Obama would be fantastic. She actually launched her podcast uh, a few, I think a month or two after mine. I I said she had President Obama on as the first guest. I said, she's got a little head start. (laughs) Let's try to get her on. So Michelle Obama, Reed Hastings, and Derek Jeter. There you go. There you go. You guys can come, come produce these shows anytime. Perfect. Perfect. So, hey, before we jump into your Penn State experience, I don't want to forget about the work with Autism Speaks You and really want to understand what motivated you to create this and the success of obviously bringing more and more colleges on board as the time passed. It's a great segue into the conversation we're going to have about Penn State because this was such a huge part of my Penn State experience. Junior, sophomore going into junior year, um, I was in a fraternity and, and, and my friend who was the president of the fraternity, we wanted to do something that bridged the gap between the university and the community and brought the two together for a really good cause. And we got paired off with an an autism organization because the alumni president for our fraternity had a daughter significantly affected by autism. We get involved and and we start working on the first event was 2006. We start working on this in 2005. There's not a lot of awareness about autism. And we started to really build this momentum. The community came out in, in full force. We raised $90,000 the first year. We did it again in 2007. We raised over 200000 And what I was amazed by was, again, the way the community and the university came together, the power of networking and relationship building. And you know, we knocked on every door on College Ave and Beaver Ave and Atherton. We went out to the mall uh, on, uh, over by 26, wherever that, that is, and, and we were knocking on doors, telling everybody, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Can you help? And it was incredible how much people you know, were willing to help. The c- coaches in the football program, local sponsors, donors, B- Bill Schreier, who's named the Honors College, donated to our cause, local businesses, everybody. So that was really cool. We felt like we had an opportunity to bring this to other campuses, use Penn State as the model, the Penn State event as the model, and t- raise money for a great cause, but also embed in people's minds this importance of being philanthropic and community-oriented at, at, at an early age when you're in college. And that's what we did. There were so many other people that got involved. Autism Speaks brought on full-time resources to help in their headquarters. We ended up on more than 25, in, in more than 25 different states, 50, 60 different campuses doing things. I worked with them as a volunteer for a couple of years and then as a consultant for more than 10 years. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life to this point because to see the, the momentum that we were able to create at Penn State and spur that on 
was great, but it also taught me professional lessons. Again, that just like that minor league internship that I take with me today, networking, relationship building. I knocked on all those doors and I asked questions. There's always a few people who slam the door in your face and you learn to hear and know a lot. And, and I think it helps you in anything. Fantastic. I know you don't do it for the awards. We're personally really happy that you won this Penn State Alumni Volunteer of the Year Award because you just exemplify a great Penn Stater, but someone who continues to always give back. So congrats again on that award. There's so many there's so many outstanding Penn Staters out there. It's like an honor to to even be, be part of that, that conversation. And I'm always amazed at what Penn Staters can do and the passion that, that everybody says, oh, if they don't know, they don't go to Penn State. Oh, you guys are so passionate about football or this. I'm like, yeah, we're passionate about football, but it's that passion that transcends everything we do. It's, it's why we do THON and we've got the largest student-run philanthropy in the world. It's why we put our arms around all those local businesses and state college to support them through the COVID pandemic. It's the reason why I'm biased, but I think that Penn Staters are great teammates, hardworking. It's one of the greatest communities to be a part of. For sure. Definitely not going to hear any argument from us. But speaking of Penn State, we're going to transition into the Lions Den, which is now dedicated to your entire experience over the four years at Penn State. So you've told us all about your impressive career. First question we'd like to ask is, how has Penn State prepared you for this great career that you've had so far? I think Penn State, full stop, is one of the, the best investments of time and money that you can make. I learned a ton in the classroom, don't get me wrong, but I think the experience of going to a big university where you have to be accountable for yourself, first and foremost, there was nobody that was going to babysit you. If you were in a thousand person lecture hall and you didn't show up, that was on you. And there was nobody that was going to chase you down. I think that you grow up fast in that environment for sure. So, so I think that was a piece of it. It forced me to grow up and mature being in that environment. And then I think just being exposed to just, just diverse people from such diverse backgrounds was very cool. And, and then I think the third piece was being part of something. You know, I wasn't an athlete, but I felt like I was part of a team that when you come out of Penn State, you come out with this immense pride and this purpose to to represent Penn State. And uh, I've always you know, been proud to 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 be a Penn Stater. So now we're going to go to actually the toughest question of the entire podcast. Okay. Okay. And you got to just pick one. Favorite memory. Okay. Fa favorite memory. Yeah. I, I have to say that it was meeting my wife. That our Good first answer. Date, Good our answer. First, our, our, wrong with that date, answer. our first date was at the, the deli. Yeah, the deli in State College there. But look, I go back to uh, the, the football. The picture behind me is the big game against Ohio State back in the mid-2000s. And again, I've always been inspired by leadership and kind of the come-from-behind mentality. We had a couple bad years, and everybody was writing the football program off, and Ohio State comes to town. I'm sure you guys remember. And under the lights, we, uh, we get it done, and that was a fantastic memory. So now you got to tell us, though, how did you meet your wife? This is debated. But I, so I, we were introduced by a mutual friend, but I saw her on the floor at Thon and I was in the crowd and I, I saw her standing near a mutual friend. And then I, I asked a friend a day or so later uh, who she was. So that was freshman year. And we started dating seriously at the beginning of senior year. And uh, here we are. Power of Thon right there. That's right.
That's right. Andrew, what advice would you share with the 18-year-old version of yourself, a kid from New Jersey coming to Penn State for his freshman year? I I, I would say be open-minded and be willing to learn and just value every interaction and every relationship that you have. I wish sometimes I had the phone number or, or a contact information for some of the people I was hanging out with freshman year that you drift apart and you just wonder, what are they doing? Because I believe that you could always add value to, to, to one another. I, I think the importance of relationships, the importance of being willing to always being willing to learn and that share it, cherish every moment because it goes fast. Yeah, sure. It does go fast. So tell us how you're, you're connected to the university these days. I don't know. You've probably haven't been back for a year plus because of COVID, but how do you stay involved with Penn State? I'm primarily involved right now, you know, in, with the business school. Um, I've been involved in differing capacities over the last 10 years. Back in 2011, 12 timeframe, I did help the Smeal College of Business create an alumni association affiliate group in the Washington, D.C. metro area. We did networking events a few times a year, and I started that chapter and, uh, you know, for for five six years played a, a a pretty heavy role with a number of other alums and bringing that all bringing all that to fruition. The last few years I've been less involved formally, but I I try and contribute where I can. For example, you know, I've been on campus recruiting for Morgan Franklin. Um, I've presented to classes both in person and I had the the chance a couple of months ago to to do a virtual to to do, to work to visit two classes virtually, talk about my career, talk about the podcast. I'm going to do that again in a few weeks for another two classes. And and then obviously a few months ago, it was a lot of fun to team up with Ali Krieger, like we talked about earlier, and do a live show for students and alum. But I, I love giving back to Penn State, and I think it's one of the best causes in the world. We certainly agree with you on that one for sure. Hey, this has been fun for us. Great people deserve great success, and and you, my friend, are a great person. So Ross and I certainly look forward to listening to your podcast more. Hopefully everyone that's listening today checks out Everybody Pulls the Tarp and look forward to obviously being in your corner for many more years to come. Jared and Ross, thanks so much for having me. What you guys are are doing is incredible as well. And I love telling the stories of Penn Staters who are representing Penn State uh, so well. So I can't believe we made it this far without doing this, but we are. Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruda production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.